Welcome to Ben Navarra's podcast with your host, Ben Navarra's. Howdy. This is the Ben Navarra's podcast. Thanks, Alyssa, for joining us today. Alyssa, uh, I quite literally just saw you on instagram on the new like notes thing that you can put on the messages um that's like a status and i was like this at that point i didn't really know what that was and so i was like i don't know who this is but she's in the fitness space um she writes training cscs and i was like you know i might as well i'm i'm trying to grow the podcast trying to talk to people that are in our field and so i was like why not? Let's let's ask. And you said yes, and so I'm glad that we're we're able to do this, especially before the new year. Um, so this will be the first episode of the new year, and I'm That's looking forward cool. to it. Isn't it? It's pretty neat. I'm gonna. All right. So Alyssa, can you tell us about your who who are you? Who am I? Oh my gosh. So my name is Alyssa Parton. Um, I am a strength and conditioning coach, more specifically in powerlifting. And I own a remote coaching business called Lady Beef Inc. And so we are a team of coaches and now a registered dietitian that just came on to help our athletes, you know, go as far as they possibly can in powerlifting. And um, so I also compete. Um, i compete as a 60 kilo lifter now in USAPL ever since they kind of changed our weight classes on us. I was 63, uh, 63 and then dropped down to the 60 kilo class. Um, I am also a PhD student in exercise science and I am starting, or I just started my um, second year. So Going into the spring, at the very end of that semester, I will be proposing for my dissertation and starting that process. And so that's been a lot of fun. I have gotten the chance to do some research on different um, powerlifting strategies and train females already. And then my dissertation is going to essentially look at the effects of perimenopause, which is the transition phase from pre-menopause, the reproductive years of a female into that menopause um, stage of life. And so the reason for that is that perimenopause phase is when a female's body really starts to change, their body composition changes, their hormonal levels change, and that really increases their risk for metabolic disease and cardiovascular disease. But I have it in my head, we're going to have to, you know, obviously look at it and see if uh, my hypothesis is um, true. But I think that if you go into that phase of life, having trained very um, strategically and specifically, um, then you can mitigate a lot of those uh, symptoms that we see with perimenopause. So I'm essentially going to compare sedentary, symptomatic perimenopausal women to highly trained perimenopausal women kind of like masters powerlifting athletes and see at what point if we are putting those um, females through a training program do their um, symptomatology start to resemble um, the trained females who don't have any symptoms so looking forward to all of that (laughs) there's a lot to unpack in all of that but I mean so the what is your 
man, there's there was a lot there. I, the the what are the symptoms? What, what are the what are the symptoms that are usually associated with those premenopausal women that we want or that you're looking at investigating? Yeah, so there are a couple of different um, umbrella terms for the symptoms that perimenopausal women go through. One being um, somatic, which is like insomnia and headaches, fatigue, that sort of thing. And then vasomotor, which is like the one that research really hasn't been able to confirm if training has an effect on. So we pretty much have clarified that whatever type of exercise you do that will improve your sleep that will improve your fatigue um it improves headaches things like that but the vasomotor side is when you have like the hot flashes um that sort of thing and it has like a thermoregulatory situation going on and that's because estrogen um whenever you're in that pre a menopausal phase, those reproductive years, our estrogen levels help us with thermoregulatory systems. And whenever your estrogen levels start to fluctuate very sporadically, like we see in perimenopause and then level out in the menopausal stage, that impairs our ability to basically release heat because it has an effect on nitrogen oxide, which has an effect on thermoregulation. So one thing that I have noticed in my reading, because that's like the, the stage I'm at right now in my um, PhD, like before I get into this like dissertation proposal is I am heavily in the research because I've got to know my topic, you know, and it's been very interesting that I have seen that a lot of studies have looked at the effects of exercise on vasomotor um, symptoms, but they haven't looked at resistance training. They've looked at cardio. They've looked at like walking and yoga and Tai Chi, but I have not seen any of them look at resistance training. And that's so crazy to me. And they're, you know, they're like, it doesn't seem like exercise improves hot flashes and other vasomotor uh things <laughs> but they were but, only looking at it such a small actual grouping of people right and then here's the thing and i learned this in one of my ex-phys classes that you know resistance training specifically helps to dilate those blood vessels going toward your skin too to help release that heat and the cool thing about that and the reason why we would prescribe resistance training to someone, even if they have like high blood pressure is because it expands these blood vessels for up to 16 hours after you've resistance trained. And so if wow. you're doing that repetitively, you are constantly increasing these blood vessels and allow this heat to dissipate out of your body essentially. And so I'm like, why haven't y'all looked at resistance training if like we know those mechanisms <laughs> so that's why in my head i'm like well that's why we're looking at this and we're looking at resistance training specifically and with a chronic program because obviously maybe maybe not one session will make a difference but over time when does if it does when would resistance training chronically start to improve these different symptoms that are very prevalent in perimenopause? Like the studies that I'm looking at, it's like they jump from like no hot flashes to like 79% of people have hot flashes once they hit that or perimenopausal stage. <laughs> Damn. So what, what age are we, are you looking at? So perimenopause, it does vary. Um, but like typically you can basically, 
assume anybody between like 40 to 50, sometimes a little over that 40 to 55 are going to be in that perimenopausal phase. Uh, you're considered perimenopause whenever you don't have a consistent menses. So like a period every month. Um, if you've gone about three months without it being consistent, then you could be considered perimenopause. You're considered menopause once you've gone an entire year without a menses. So essentially, we would just need to find people that fit within that criteria before they've reached menopause, but after that premenopausal stage. And they have like surveys and stuff you can give people to like break it down and figure out if they are. And what do you criteria? And what do you consider uh, a chronic bout, right? Because usually a lot of research, mm -hmm. I feel like, is always like this single bout stuff, which yes. makes me so frustrated. Oh, I that, know. Well, we, didn't, we didn't see any benefits here from our oh, one know, right? single leg extension. So it probably <laughs> isn't good. It's like, well, hold on. Like, there's so much more right. that we know that's going on here. So then what are you, what are you looking at uh, in terms of what do you consider chronic? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it definitely depends on the program. The first uh, study I did, we did a seven week uh, program. So that's, it, I think typically anything over like three weeks would be considered chronic, maybe four weeks. I look at it as at least two mesocycles of training. So for us at that first study, it was originally supposed to be eight weeks. And because of working with co uh, college students and spring break, we ended up having to cut it to seven for my dissertation it'll be 12 weeks so it like is truly chronic at that point because you're looking at like basically four mesocycles of training did you have this like idea or did you walk I into did. insanely cool it was so cool because like i i mean i walked into my phd not having any idea what i was going to do i knew i liked powerlifting <laughs> that was like it <laughs> And um, thankfully, I, you know, connected with my mentor who didn't have the same like area as me, but like he is also very involved in training um, and he's in, he competes in jujitsu. He's competed in weightlifting in the past and he does, he has followed my powerlifting program also. So that's been fun. Very cool. But um, he, you know, really like brought me under his wing and I've learned so much from him. And it was so funny because over the summer I was taking a summer class and I'm very much of the mindset of, I don't want to waste my time. Like what can I look at? What can I read and study that might help me later down the road? Or what can I write about in my classes that will help me down the road? And so we had to do um, a couple of different presentations in this class so I asked my mentor, I'm like, hey, what topic, because we could pick any topic as long as we got it approved. What topic do you think I should look into that I haven't gotten to look into yet that might, you know, be good for me in the future? And he was like, you should look into perimenopause. I think you would really like it. And um, it kind of fits within your realm of like, like females and seeing like I look at both the resistance training and performance aspect in females but I also look at cardiometabolic health in females and that's where we kind of bridged our interests he's very involved in cardiometabolic health so I looked at perimenopause wrote a research paper on it and presented on it and all that and ever since then that's when I had it in my head I was like okay why are they only looking at endurance training and yoga and tai chi and just making the assumption that 
training doesn't help <laughs> these symptoms because <laughs> I was like in my head you know I was like okay I guarantee that Jen Thompson didn't go through all these perimenopausal <laughs> symptoms or isn't going through all these perimenopausal symptoms right. you know and she's trained since like way before that phase would have started in her I mean she probably isn't even hit yet I think she's 40 so she might be just hitting it but I was like I guarantee Jen Thompson isn't gonna go through all of these different symptoms and her risk for metabolic disease is not going to go up and cardiovascular disease is not going to go up like drastically like we are seeing in all these sedentary or overweight individuals and so that's where it like started and so then my um, mentor uh, I have a PhD brother I call him so we're both under the same mentor and he basically put it on us like you know his job as our mentor is to make us independent researchers. And so up until that point, you know, he had kind of helped us figure out and formulate research questions, but he was like, your dissertation is you. I want you to figure out what you want to look at. I'll help you like once we've got the details to make sure it's going to be dissertation worthy, but like the research question has to be your idea. And so um, really just like from that class and how much I looked into it, it just stuck with me all through this previous like fall semester. And then whenever he put it on us to like put it all together, I was like, I want to know. <laughs> I want to know if resistance training works for this stuff. Like, let's start recommending it in, um, for perimenopause and for menopause and like actually showing these women that, yeah, you can mitigate at least to an extent some of these symptoms and not be purely miserable with these hot flashes day in and day out and whatever else to come like i mean the different risks are tremendous it's crazy that you pre-menopause your risk as a female for cardiovascular disease is so low and then as soon and like you know males are way higher even at that younger age and then whenever you get into that menopausal stage, it flips so drastically where females are like at 70% risk of cardiovascular disease to, compared to like 30% in males. And that's like approximate, but it is insane how quickly and how much it switches. And I'm like, there's got to be a way around that. <laughs> and I think it's resistance training, but I have to prove it or not prove it, but suggest it first. So then when are you looking at, uh, I, I guess, starting the suggestion and then hopefully carrying out the, the method? And also another question to, to hit you with diff, uh, two at the same time. Sorry, but I'm interested. How are you recording? What, what data are you looking at? What measures are you taking? Mm -hmm. So um, we're going to we can, I have to propose this project in the end of the spring semester. So I wouldn't be able to start my dissertation probably until the fall. It is a very um, stringent process. You have to get your committee to agree to it um, and make sure that everything looks right. And then you have to get it approved by the IRB, which is like a board of ethics at your school who basically makes sure that the benefits outweigh the risks. And that can take a while. So once we get all of that back, that's whenever we can officially start the research process. And so we would plan to start in like the August, in August of next year. And then from there, it would be like the 12 week program and writing it up and I would propose my or um i would defend my dissertation the following spring 
So the things that we would want to look at, so we're going to look at a bunch of clinical strength markers. Um, I would, you know, love to look at like back squat 1RMs and power, uh, bench press 1RMs. And we probably are going to do that too, just for my own, <laughs> you know, yeah. Benefit, sanity. Not, <laughs> sanity. <laughs> but, you know, a lot of what I'm going to be looking at is something we want to be able to translate to clinical settings. So we've looked at different markers of strength that they can use in clinical settings. So we're going to tie those in as additional performance markers. So it's like, hey, like you can make these um, suggestions based on their strength mark levels in these exercises. So we're going to do that. They also have um, validated a number of surveys that are looking at the symptomatology of perimenopausal and menopausal women. And we're going to give those surveys at different time points to our sample, our participants, so that we can see how it changes across the um, program. So we can look at, you know, pre, like they clearly have, you know, hot flashes and headaches and whatever else. And then, you know, four weeks into their training program after one mesocycle, has that changed at all? At eight weeks, has it changed at all? All the way through 12. We're also going to be um, recruiting the trained women and giving them those um, surveys so that we can see, you know, we can compare them back to the sample we're truly looking at. And then we're also going to have a control group just makes that study a little bit stronger, especially with it being a dissertation. You want it to be as strong as possible. And so we'll have a control group that doesn't get the exercise training. So then we have like this spectrum essentially of highly symptomatic, uh, no symptoms with our well-trained and then along that continuum, how does the group that we're putting through a training program differ between those two extremes? Um, we're also going to take some um, blood markers, but we're not we're not completely sure what we'll look at yet. We're all blood trained. My um, mentor is, and me and my PhD brother. So, we you if you're going to look at blood markers, you have to get funded because it is very pricey. So if we don't get funded for blood markers, we'll just basically um, freeze it and save it until funding comes around. And then you can look at something else for a different study. And then we'll also, one thing that you can look at that's really easy, and it doesn't, like you do have to get funding, but it's not too expensive. We're using it for a study I'm currently running. And it's looking at your estrogen levels, which will be very imperative to basically we can figure out, you know, what are perimenopausal estrogen levels? They've already um, confirmed what those levels are. And so we can just like make sure that they are within that um, measurement. But you can literally spit into a tube and you can measure estrogen through your spit, <laughs> which I didn't know until this semester. So I thought that was pretty fascinating. That's pretty fancy, and it sounds like. Yeah. So I think that's it for now. We'll probably think of some other things that we might want to tag on later on. Or um, there's always like the ability because whenever you do a big project like this, for a dissertation, you have to have three studies. And so one, I already have one that's going to count towards my dissertation. So I have to pull two studies from 
this one project, but you can always tag in small things and pull off another study for like down the road if you wanted to write something else up. So my mentor probably has ideas in his head about things to throw in there. Where are you studying? Where? University of North Alabama. It seems like you guys are very, like, it, it's very well structured. It sounds like a nice lab. Yeah. Oh, man, it is so nice. So this is just kind of a, um, <laughs> yeah, like, just to show you the type of school that I'm at. I'm part of the first cohort of um, PhD students. Very cool. And um, first full cohort. And so it is, like, a new program, but it w- it really drew my attention because they um, they want to develop you both as an exceptional professor as well as an exceptional researcher and a lot of schools that you go to it's kind of one or the other you can go to an r1 school that's going to be highly research focused and not so much on the teaching side and then you can go to other schools that are more um uh, like liberal arts schools and they're going to be more focused on the teaching side and so una really tried to you know merge the two and make them both very like important in their program which has been so fun because I've already gotten to, and that was really the one of the main reasons I wanted to go there is because I wanted to be a professor in exercise science. I wanted to research too, but you know, I came into school not knowing anything about research and never have done it before. And so didn't really know if I would love it as much as I have. And thankfully I have, but um, yeah, the fact that they have really tried to develop us as both is really cool. And the lab is brand new. So like, uh, I think, we are the first group of students to be in their new lab and it is very nice. Like they re-innovated um, a different building on campus. And so, and then it's so cool. So they were more like cardiovascular um, lab equipment focused, but because I've come in and then very <laughs> resistance training anaerobic focus. Um, we had somebody donate a squat rack and plates and whatnot, and they've actually like dedicated a room to it. And so it's been really nice to have that type of support, especially being at this point, the only one <laughs> who's like interested in that sort of thing and studying that. But I think we'll have some other students come on this next year that are also involved in powerlifting. So that'll be fun for me. I think the powerlifting. Com- I think the powerlifting community is having so many more researchers go, like more scientists, yeah. right? Just the, the the platform itself is growing, and so you're having new penetration, and it's yeah. there's there's such a lack of of um, research in resistance training, and it's, it's, especially it's- in like the actual type of programming a powerlifter would follow. And so that's really what I've been trying to bring to the table. Like with the first study I ran, like they, these girls went through a dedicated, legit powerlifting program. I mean, I incorporated daily undulated periodization. I incorporated conjugate periodization. And like, and so that will kind of be the same thing with even these, um, like the perimenopausal people. Obviously it won't be to the same extent, but they will be strength training. Like they will have a barbell in their hands and they will be doing a program that you would do in the real world. Not just like, let's do 10 sets of 10 of leg press and call it a day. (laughs) Like that's not what we do. (laughs) That's very far from what the actual stimulation of holding a barbell does, right? There's, There's so much more of having your back loaded. Right. 
Well, that's super exciting. It seems like you're very passionate about what you're doing and for not like yeah. being a, a scientist per se. And then now in it, like, it seems like you're definitely like running with it pretty well. Yeah. What yeah, is it? So, it, so your, your focus is, is in this space of, of women, right? And so mm-hmm. you, the more you do the research and learn about these things, um, does it over, translate to your current clientele and what ages do you kind of work with? And then I would like to know more about the, the lady beef side of the world. Yeah. So, I mean, I would definitely say a lot of what I've learned has translated. I, I try, I go into each of my classes and I have like, it goes two different places it's one how can i relate this information to powerlifting and coaching and also like two you know how can i relate this to like what i'm going to be doing with my dissertation or my research so that it just makes sense to to me as a professional on both sides of things because i'm both an academic and i'm a coach and so it has been fun to really learn a lot of different things that have helped me as a coach with whether it be from the programming side, the nutrition side, and the metabolic side. It's just very interesting and it's fun whenever you can link those things because being like pretty much the only powerlifter at school, obviously nothing anybody's teaching me is like this relates to powerlifting. Like they're not saying that, but I'm like seeing it and interpreting it as different ways that I can use it in my coaching um, and in my business. And then what was your other question? <laughs> um, if it translates over and yes, it does. And then what age are, what ages That's do you right. work between? Man, I work with all kinds of ages. I would say like young adult. Um, I don't really have any youths yet or right now. I mean, and then I, I'm middle aged, so like I have clients in their forties, and they're all powerlifters. So I only work with recreational and competitive powerlifters now, and so yeah, it, it does vary. And so that's why I think too, I've really loved this perimenopausal side of things because we're all heading that way. Like all of my female athletes, you know, and I and I'm I don't want to just support them and their athletic ambitions right now where they are, but like I look ahead in the future. And that's my job as a coach is to have not just a narrow focus on what you can accomplish and what I can do with you right now, but like what's our long-term goals. And I want them to have longevity in the sport of powerlifting if that's what they want to do. And so, you know, I'm heading that direction and (laughs) have athletes who are already in that direction. And so I've just been able to um, figure out what does apply to my coaching business and, and run with it. And then I always have loved the science of it. And something that I try and do on my Instagram page is pull the science with the practicality and like, you know, show people like how metabolism relates to powerlifting and taking these different uh, concepts that we um, encounter in powerlifting and being like, here's the science behind it. Like, why do you work up to a heavy set of squats and then back down into like back offsets like what's the science behind that or um one of them that I thought was pretty fun that I did was um you know every time anybody's in competition you'll hear them talk about how they have nervous pee like they they feel like they need to go to the bathroom and after like every attempt but they're like I just went you know why do I feel like I have that I'm like well here's the science behind it and so I just have so much fun figuring those things out and like bringing that um to people's attention so it is it has been fun like 
merging the two. What is the science behind it? Why do people have the peas? <laughs> it is a stress response. So whenever you are stressed out and that sympathetic nervous system is like basically triggered, it has this downstream effects where it can it basically causes your body to want to get out anything that would slow you down. It's like this um animalistic effect like <laughs> whenever he you know if if you're being attacked, like you need to be able to get away and quickly. So your body will get rid of anything in its, its system so that you can do so. Well, our bodies don't know the difference between being attacked by a bear or being nervous to squat in front of a crowd. <laughs> and so that nervous piece is your body trying to like get rid of anything inside of it. So if you need to sprint away from danger, you can do so. <laughs> Very nice. Yeah. How, how long have you been coaching? I have been coaching, so it's been like a um, transition. I've been, I, I studied exercise science in my undergrad back um, when I started college in 2010. So I started with like personal training and then um, merged into powerlifting more so in 2016. I was a bodybuilder and I um, quit bodybuilding in 2015 and started to experiment with powerlifting. And then in 2016, that's when I hired my first powerlifting coach and was really interested in becoming a powerlifting coach myself and started just like experimenting with certain clients that were welcoming of being my guinea pig. They knew that I was new to it and they were like, do whatever you want to me. <laughs> I'll be your first powerlifting client. And then it was in 2017 um, that I really launched Lady Beef as a powerlifting coaching business. And then um, started only uh, powerlifting coaching in 2019. So I stopped basically doing general population coaching and switched over to just powerlifting. What was the reason? Why, why, why drop GP? Oh, boy. I had had enough of that. <laughs> I had been working with um, general population since 2012. And I've just always really enjoyed working with people, I guess, who are more similar to me. Like they they wanted purpose behind their training. And not to say that all general population are the same way, because they're definitely not. But I, I do kind of uh, categorize people as like general population as the people who just like come get trained by you who don't really care what they're doing. They're more there for the social aspect. And I, I term athletes, I guess, very broadly where I'm like, you have the recreational athletes who might not compete, but they still have like the goal of performance. And so they're very dedicated. They care about their training. They care about getting stronger. It's not just about either the social aspect or the um, physique aspect. And then you have your competitive athletes who are basically the same way, except they get on a podium or on a platform and get judged for it. <laughs> so I had just, you know, gotten to a place where I wanted to work solely with people who wanted to barbell train, who wanted to power lift, and they could be newbies. They don't have to have had a history with powerlifting or strength training. But they still have to fit under the umbrella, I guess, of a recreational powerlifter, somebody who wants to be under a barbell and to get better and get stronger. And so, yeah. How, how does a client find you? If I, if I go to ladybeef.com, what, what, what is my interaction going to be like? 
what's your interaction going to be like? So <laughs> ladiesinc.com, uh, because ladybeef.com was taken. <laughs> <laughs> but um, yeah, so if you go there, like you'll see, you know, just like a lot of my personality, I'll give like the background of how like Lady Beef came to be, like where that name came from and who I am and what we're trying to achieve. Like to me, like Lady Beef, it encompasses a person who breaks stereotypes. Like if you're a female, like you can be feminine and you can be strong and you can be empowered by a barbell. And then I've got like my male beefs. We just call ourselves team beef to kind of encompass everybody. (laughs) But like, they're awesome and they're so supportive and they just, they want to be coached by, they call me coach beef. (laughs) And um, so we're just like, we're a fun family. And I'm just trying to show people that, you know, you can be whoever you want to be. And you can be empowered by the barbell. You can be successful in the sport of powerlifting, even if you don't have like an athletic background, like it is for everybody. Um, And, you know, my whole team tries to portray that too. So I have um, an assistant coach, his name's Arnold. And I love that he is on the team. Like I, for whatever reason, he always wanted to have like a a male coach on the team too, just to kind of show. Because one of the questions I'm often asked is, you know, do you coach males? And I'm like, absolutely. I love my male clients. And so having him on board has kind of helped to like show that like, yes, like we we accept everybody. (laughs) And then we have um, our registered dietitian. Lexi and so she helps with the um, nutrition aspect and um, she can obviously go so much far beyond what me and Arnold can do with nutrition and so it's really awesome to have her um, help as well and we're all just really down-to-earth people that you know love to lift and love to support our athletes and love to get them on the podium and (laughs) win medals and (laughs) and get them to the next um, level and all of that jazz it seems like it's a, it's doing pretty well. Like it's growing. I mean, the fact that you have yeah. an RD and you have both yourself and then an assistant coach, it seems like things are moving in the right direction. Uh, what started your, why, like why get into fitness? What was your purpose of, of coming into the world of fitness? Yeah. So I actually grew up um, with rheumatoid arthritis, juvenile rheumatoid arthritis. And I was diagnosed with that when I was like, seven I think and like it was to the extent where my parents had to start homeschooling me because I'd wake up and like couldn't move (laughs) like my joints just did not work and they were very swollen yeah and um it was from that very early age that I was basically forced to learn how imperative movement and exercise was um because like my my mom she was very smart in this and like it was funny because like um rheumatoid arthritis for a seven-year-old was not a thing not very common um to their knowledge anyways and um instead of like you know babying me whenever you know my joints would swell she put me in um dance and gymnastics and eventually baton twirling and that was the sport that I really took off with And when I was about 15 years old, and I mean, I was twirling every single day. And I think that that was such a good sport for my joints. Because like, uh, one of the main things that would get really janky were my wrists and fingers. And so I'm sitting there twisting my wrist and running this baton through my fingers and like moving my arms around. 
And I think really overall that helped so much to put me in remission around the age of 15 to 16. And so um, didn't have any issues between like, or toward the end of my high school years. And then when I started college, um, I went into school as a business major for the first semester because I wanted to own a baton twirling studio. Shocker. Nice. And um, yeah, you grow up whenever you're like homeschooled and you're in this like really small, like, you know, area, like you have no idea what's out there. So it was like, Todd Rowling is all I know. I'm going to want to Todd Rowling's video. The, option, the options are endless now. What's going on? I mean. Right. And <laughs> you have no idea. So went to school for that. And um, very soon into college, you know, I wasn't twirling as often as I had been. And I didn't know exercise outside of that. And I started to notice that it was like coming back. Like I was all of a sudden having issues with my fingers. Like I, re- I just remember very specifically not being able to hold onto a fork without my hands, like wanting to just like be cut off. <laughs> like it would swell and it would hurt so bad. So that's when I like started looking into like actual exercising more often. And then my wheels started turning and I was like, you know, I don't want to own just the baton twirling studio. I want the parents to be able to do something. What if I add a gym inside this baton twirling studio? Somehow wound up in an advisor's office for exercise science that put me in exercise science. And after I like sat in that first kinesiology class, it was like, I was set. I was like, I love this light bulbs going off everywhere. I had never been like a good student and um, somebody who like excelled in anything. I wasn't like a math person or anything like that. Definitely not a science person. (laughs) And so for everything to just kind of like click and for me to love to learn about something was a really huge moment for me. And so that's when I really started to put into practice what I was learning in my kinesiology class about different like joint movements in the gym. So I would basically try and like, um, you know, I was a very visual learner and I would try and just go to the gym and like figure out what I was learning in the classroom. And so it really just took off from there. I started to notice a big difference in how I was feeling again. And um, I guess, you know, that. Mm, I I wouldn't say it didn't like leave remission, whatever that word is, but I was definitely feeling like my arthritis was coming back. And so going, getting back into being more active, you know, kind of stalled that and halted it where it was. And so, yeah, it just like grew from there. I was, you know, in exercise science. So I was making friends that were also into exercise and learning from them Um, Whenever I was a sophomore, I met um, my first boss um, who owned a gym and I started shadowing and interning for them and then started working for a gym that was very bodybuilding focused, which is what got me into bodybuilding competing for a couple of years. And yeah, it just kind of grew from there. How is competing in bodybuilding versus in powerlifting? It's so much more fun to compete in powerlifting. (laughs) Good. Oh man! I'm glad, I, yeah. I'm glad I didn't miss out on on much in that no. getting into that space. Oh my god! You know, it is a really cool experience, but nobody prepared me for the after me or after competition experience. And this was really before you know social media took off, and like Instagram was very new. 
Um, it was when we had all those really horrible filters and grainy pictures, you know, and oh, I was yeah. actually on an iPod, not an iPhone. <laughs> oh my gosh. But, um, yeah, so I just wasn't prepared for, um, you know, how dieting that hard would affect me after competing. And so it really took me through this tailspin of an eating disorder, a binge eating disorder. And um, so it was really like me getting out of that is how I was able to get past all those issues that I had developed over that time. And it was really powerlifting that pulled me completely out of that because once I started competing and really focusing on the power, uh, the performance aspect of my training and um, not like trying to diet down constantly, that really, you know, pulled me out of those eating patterns. And so, yeah, I would, I mean, definitely more of a fan of powerlifting <laughs> for myself anyways. I think the sport of bodybuilding is amazing and incredible. And it's come such a long way too with people being more vocal about how to approach how, um, after a competition. But at that time and at my age too, I was very young. I just don't think that I was like mentally or physically ready for that. <laughs> I, that, that sport, I think kind of I think that's very interesting and, and it takes a lot of discipline and dedication but I feel that it it can maybe not be so good for I think eating disorders and then also um body dysmorphia to to a, mm-hmm. like an extreme and I think Sadly, that yes. it's it, I I think that it can be cool but I think that powerlifting is a is a and maybe it's just cuz I'm biased here but I think powerlifting is something that is able to be accessed by a large population of individuals that ultimately Mm -hmm. can change a lot more aspects of their life that they didn't really go into expecting like the eating, the, 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 the sleeping, the, the, uh, the, the push off of osteoporosis. It's like you get a DEXA scan from someone who's never lifted a weight in their life. And then the person that's been lifting for years, you're going to see that that bone density is infinitely higher and they're Mm -hmm. almost guaranteed to not like even go into becoming osteoporotic in their future. Yeah. Or sarcopenia. It's, it's big. And I think it's makes, I think it makes a better athlete and makes a better person at the end of the day. Yeah. And you, you can, you can leave the sport of powerlifting and still do the big three and they're still good for you. You should always know how to squat. Um, right. maybe, maybe do some more overhead movements. Cause bench, you know, makes us very uh, anteriorly dominant and not a lot of people mm-hmm. like to focus on the, the posterior chain. But I think ultimately it's, I think it's a growing sport because it's so accessible and also changes people's lives um, infinitely better than I think that that bodybuilding does. I think bodybuilding is definitely uh, from both the physical and mental aspect for sure. It's a scary sport to me. It really, and I think that maybe on the outside perspective, it seems um, what would imagine what I would imagine to be healthy. Like they're promoting this this physique, which I think general population, if they don't understand, we perceive that as like. A set, a, a set of beauty or um, like real true health. But then if you really dive into it and look no, at it, I mean, it's not attainable. Like it's very temporary that they're in those like, like levels of lean, but yeah, you're right. And a lot of times but what's even worse too, is a lot of people will just kind of like sign up and I don't know, I'm not in the bodybuilding realm anymore. So this is more of me speaking of like when I was, But I knew a lot of people who would sign up for bodybuilding shows who had never consistently resisted strain. They were doing it just to lose weight. 
And it's like, <laughs> that's not, yeah. And so it's one, it's like, first of all, you're setting yourself up for failure. And two, like there are so much more um, attainable and um, like sustainable ways to lose weight than doing something as drastic as a bodybuilding competition. It, a, a long-term goal is always the thing. And you said that earlier about your right. clients. You're, you're not looking at them just to have them for the next 12 weeks for this competition. Y- yeah. You're looking at having them compete for the next years. Like, what am I going to be able right. to do to set you up that you, we're going to work on more our mobility, our flexibility, all, all of these these niches and or, or the, these niches inside this this big grand space to make you into a better athlete and then a better mm-hmm. person because I don't want you leaving the gym feeling like ow my back or ow my hip. How yeah. can we how can we navigate around those things to make sure that this is an, an aid to your life and not a detriment, right? Um, Absolutely. And I think you have. I think it, it sets the difference between a. a, a a highly educated coach um, and somebody who I think, I, I think we all grew up with them, like our high school coaches that were like just, you know, five by five every single day. And we're just going to like pound it out. It doesn't really matter for them. <laughs> like we're just trying to like load the bar up and lift heavy things um, right. because like, Oh, well, we need to be ready for football season. And then after football, mm-hmm. well, you're going to baseball. I don't really care about you anymore. And it's like, <laughs> well, I could be making you better now and for baseball and then for me again next year. Like right. think, think bigger picture here. Um, yes. I like that you, you, you approach it that way. Well, thanks. <laughs> yeah. So, my coach, he told me a while back or asked me a while back, you know, if you had to choose whether you were, you know, like a world champion or whatever in five years, hurt yourself to the point where you never could, compete or powerlift again or um would you rather be you know competing and powerlifting until you're 60 70 years old and i was like i definitely am never gonna hit the podium anyways but (laughs) even then like i would choose to be lifting until you know i was 70 80 90 hopefully (laughs) years old and I mean, that's going to be different for everybody. And I don't think that it's one or the other. I think that obviously we have many amazing athletes who are world champions that are going to be in the sport for a long time. But you still have to play that you know, role in that, find that balance so that you can be both successful and in this long term. And so, yeah, I think you have to you know, figure out, one, what you want. And to like have a coach that can support what your goals are, but also support, you know, that the athlete doesn't always know what's best and that like you do have the bigger picture in mind. They might be more concerned about meddling at their next competition and that is achievable and something the coach should work with them towards. But like you're not going to push them to the point where they break down during that competition um, and they're out of the sport for a while. All good things. So how do you deal with online coaching? And do you like online coaching? Are you having Zoom with people? Like, yes. (laughs) So then why? Because I feel like online coaching is kind of difficult at times. Yeah, no, I love remote coaching. And so I think it does help that I do work primarily with um, recreational and and, um, competitive lifters, even if they are beginner lifters, they kind of like have been in, they've been training to some extent for a while, um, to the point where I don't have to like 
watch them in the moment. So the way that I go about online coaching is I have their training program put together and I have them all upload videos of their squat bench and deadlift. I'll have them upload uh, videos of like top sets as well as if like it's like a higher set and rep scheme. I'm like, I want to see the first and last so that I can see how um, things change or hopefully they stay consistent within a longer um, volume. And then they'll upload it and I'll go in and look at their videos. And if there's anything that I want to tweak or correct, then I will make like either comment on the video or sometimes I will record a video walking them through something if I think that that will get across to them a lot easier. Some people are very pictorial learners. So if I think that you know, they're not going to understand me writing something out. I will like talk it out with them. And then I also just have like this like open door policy that if you need to send me a video and um, get me to either look at something right then and there, or correct it, or if it's an accessory exercise and you just want to make sure that you're doing it right, you can just send it to me, text it to me anytime and I'll do that for you also. So it's really just like, you know, a family, a community. We're not very like... I guess over professional where it's like, you're not allowed to text me. <laughs> like, please text me if you need my help. Um, but yeah, so we do that. And then at the end of each of their training weeks, they have a check-in form and I just ask a bunch of like biofeedback type questions. And it also lets me know that they finished their training week so I can pull it up, look and see how everything went, look at the videos and make sure that the RPEs will match up. Sometimes somebody will be like, that was an RPE of nine. And then it moved like, butter and I'm like no it wasn't <laughs> so gotta teach you what RPEs mean or vice versa somebody will be like that was a five and I'm like you could not have done one more <laughs> that is not true and so anyways I'll go through make sure everything looks right and then continue to progress their program um but yeah so it's pretty simple um I think simple I think sometimes people overcomplicate coaching um but you know we make a plan and we execute that plan. What platform are you using? You said that you they you have them upload stuff. Do you have it on your website or? We just use Google um, Drive. So nice. I will create a folder for each of my clients. And in that folder, they have their training template that they'll pull open. It's got everything in there from um, their training days and weeks. And they'll just type in the loads that they use their RPE for each exercise, if they have any personal notes that they want to put in for themselves or for me to see. I also track um, perceived recovery score scores but before their training session. So essentially, it's just a scale of one to 10 on how recovered you feel going into the session. And then they also rate how difficult the session was at the end of it. And the, those, you know, just little numbers like that will give me indication of, for instance, like when a deload is actually needed versus just like giving people one when they might be totally fine and recovered. And then um, they've got their nutrition spreadsheet in there too. Um, and then I have a folder for all their videos. And so they just know to go in there by at least the end of each week and upload their videos from that specific week so that I can go in there, check it all out and continue from there. I'd love all to see a, 
I'd love to see a screenshot of, of I, I assume you're using like an Excel sheet. I'd love yeah. to see like a screenshot of your Excel sheet. And I, I'd, I, I will I, happily send it to you. <laughs> yes, I'm excited. I'll share you with, I'll share with you mine. I, I, I use Excel as well or Google, the, uh-huh. the Google sheets. Yeah. Um, but I think I, I like, you have a lot of different points of data that I like. I like the, like the, the pre-workout, like how recovered do you feel? I think that's, yeah. that's huge. I don't know why I never thought yeah. about that, but that's massive. You know, it's so really easy. funny. So one of the faculty members of our school, um, Dr. Green, he's the one that like came up with that s- scale. So if you like research perceived recovery score and you see green on these studies, like he's our dean. <laughs> Very nice. You're, you're, yeah. you're in a good place, apparently. Right. But um, yeah, so it's just like small things like that. And, you know, we'll track, um, I track their volume load and their competition lift so that we can make sure that they're progressing, but not like overly spiking any volume anywhere, um, just to prevent like any aches and pains. And like, if you if you spike volume too high too quickly, like, pretty much any every time they're gonna be like, my elbows hurt, my knees hurt. And I'm like, yeah, that's probably why. And so you want to make sure you're watching those trends. And then, um, yeah, that's pretty much about it. I have like one client who's currently working on helping me with different graphs out of this data because I'm not like some Excel spreadsheet queen or by any means. <laughs> I can I can figure out me some drop down menus and some sums and ifs and just different things like that. But he can put together these graphs, and I'm like, that'd be fantastic. Fantastic. So we all are always trying to figure out what else we can look at and what other data we can look at because, you know, I'm still learning in that aspect too. But it's also helped like being in stats in school. I'm like, and then again, that's another one of those areas where I'm like, hmm, I could apply this to powerlifting. <laughs> Run these stats on everybody. <laughs> <laughs> Get all this data for that I can yes, look at and so ultimately make them better. But it's like selfishly, like so fun right. for you to do it. And the client's just like, okay, weirdo. Like, why do yeah, you, why are I we doing I have no idea what that means. Yeah, it's <laughs> I'm like, like it's don't okay. worry about it. It's free. <laughs> I love that. Uh, how many clients do you have? I currently have my athletes capped at 20. So whenever nice. I started my PhD, I actually capped it at 10. That's whenever I brought on Arnold and started like shoving him clients and um, just, you know, trying to take something off my plate. And then we have another uh, general, we actually do coach general population clients, but I had just have another coach for that. <laughs> and she's nice. actually having to leave us for a temporary basis while she gets her MBA. And then she plans on coming back. But right now, our registered dietitian, who is also a CPT, she's going to be handling the general population clients. So we do coach them. I just don't specifically coach them. And Arnold doesn't specifically coach them. But um, yeah, so capped it at 10 because I was like, I don't know how I can both be a coach, a brand new PhD student. I hadn't been in a classroom setting since I graduated from undergrad in 2014 because my master's was online. So, and then, um, I'm also a mom. So I was like, I don't know how I'm going to do all these things. So capped it at 10. And then over the spring, I was like, okay, I kind of think I have a handle on this. So capped it at 15. And then, um, at the, like this semester going into next semester, I was like, okay, cap it at 20. So I grow as I feel like I can handle it without putting too much on my plate. And then for anybody else that comes to us, I just give them over to our other coaches. I want to hear your perspective on velocity-based training and if you yeah. think that that would be a, a benefit for your athletes and then if you, you know, whatever your main perspective may be. 
Yeah. So velocity based training is very cool. I was actually going to look at that with my previous one of my previous studies, but we didn't get the velocity based unit in in time. But um, I think it's a great measurement tool. It's just another assessment that you can use, you know, especially for like if you're not so much focused on the load on the bar. Sometimes you're just wanting to look like focus on speed or, you know, you can kind of combine the two and use their speed almost as an assessment to their progress. Like if you're looking say at like 85% of their max and how it moved at the beginning of a cycle versus at the end of a cycle, that can be a measure of progress. And so I think there's a bunch of different uses for it. Obviously it's not accessible to everybody. They, the really nice ones are very pricey. But I've heard good things about um, different apps that they have right now um, where you can just basically video it. And obviously it's not going to be perfect, but it's kind of like a weight scale where it might not be like completely valid, but it can still be reliable. And if it's just showing you those patterns and trends over time, then I don't see anything wrong with like using something that might not be completely perfect. But yeah, I think it's a great tool but I don't think it's like a, like a you must have it or you must use it kind of tool. I think there's other ways to go about measuring progress or measuring speed. That's fair. I feel like for online coaching, I feel like it would be a, mm-hmm. a good additive to have. Yeah. But at the same time, it's also it, – it, it's not everyone can – But who's buying buy the VVT tool for the client, you know? Yeah, <laughs> like right. Exactly. they want to buy it, all for it. We can use it. But I would never approach a client and be like, I need you to buy a VBT tool. I mean, those things are th- – they can be thousands of dollars. <laughs> They're insane. I think there, there's there's some new ones that, like, will stick onto the bar and you connect with your yeah. app. And then after the fact, it'll, it'll load all that data, mm-hmm. um, which I think is really cool. They're a little bit more affordable. But yeah. even then, you're still dropping 500 bucks on, on a VBT, exactly. which and is kind of – It's not accessible for everybody. I wouldn't be buying that. I love powerlifting it, and I love to make progress, but I'm not buying $500 cord right now. It's it you're you're really leading this from the front, like you're growing this this business into what I think can like grow into something that's very large. What is your goal with the business? Oh man, I'm, my goal is to take my athletes to the top of any competition they're in, whether that is whichever uh, federation that is too, like whether you're in USAPL, like I want you a national champion and I want you to have any and all opportunities that you want. If I have clients who are new to powerlifting and their goal is to make it to nationals, like my goal is your goal. I want to get you to the point where you go to nationals. If you're in PA now, like, and you want to make the world team, I want you to make the world team. My goal is whatever my athletes goals are. And I mean, I want Lady Beef to be a force to be reckoned with. (laughs) Like, I want us to be known for producing exceptional and successful power lifters. And so, yeah, like, that would definitely be my goal. I want to take this thing as far as we can. I want to support my athletes. I want to bring on more professionals that can help in different areas that is outside of my scope. And I just want to just, you know, I want, I want to see what we can do. And I, and I'm fine with like how long that takes to, you know, like we probably could have added more coaches and a registered dietitian and like, like weightlifting. I kind of want to bring on a weightlifting coach at some point, you know, like we could have grown at a much faster pace than I would say we have. Like I've been 
Uh, Lady Beef has been a thing since 2013, and we became a coaching business in 2017 and more powerlifting focused in 2019, and that's whenever we added our first coach. But, you know, I want to make sure we're bringing on the right people at the right times for athletes and that and you know i'm i'm having to juggle so many different roles at this stage in my life that i'm like i just want to do everything the right way and so if that means like you know taking our time with um where we currently are and just growing and adding things as you know opportunities are presented to us i think that that's the right route for us at least i think as mu- as much of this as much as this podcast is very as uh, very athlete related and and in maybe some some also in the science world as well, I also am very interested in learning how people grow their businesses and mm-hmm. um, the entrepreneurship side of it. And I mean, I think entrepreneurs are are especially in this space are growing in number quite a bit. And so, mm-hmm. um, I'm if you don't mind, I'm interested in in your rationale with starting the business, how it like finding, how do you start your first LLC? How did, how did you um, go through the process of like hiring somebody? Why, mm-hmm. how, how did you know it was the right time? Are we taking yeah. loans to do this kind of stuff? Um, or is it just like, <laughs> purely on you? Yeah. So I would say, you know, one, like my husband is very like financial brain. So he does help a lot with like, you know, if I have an idea, I kind of like, talk it out with him like does it make sense to do this yet but then i also you know i am not like i am not financially savvy by any means i don't get accounting like i don't know what i'm doing i am a coach (laughs) that is all so i recognize when i have to outsource and so whenever um we really started to push lady beef as a business i went and found me an accountant i was like hey i don't want to go to jail what do i need to track what do i need to do (laughs) to make sure that i'm doing this the right way and then this year i actually hired a bookkeeper because um it was just like again like i knew whenever my plate was just being too full and like me tracking everything each month was just a lot on top of like PhD stuff, toddler stuff, coaching stuff. So I have a bookkeeper that keeps track of everything for me each month. And then, you know, whenever tax season comes around, like she helps with all of that stuff. So I just, you know, I I don't try and do everything on my own. And I certainly am kind of more like an old dog that doesn't learn new tricks. So I'm not gonna try and teach myself something whenever I really don't have the time or capacity to. So I get help. And um, for the whole like LLC um, S Corp thing, that's actually been a real whirlwind because I have had a a few different accountants since um, we started and everybody says different things. And so I think, we started as an LLC. I think my, my dad's big into like business stuff and he made us an LLC. And then I had an accountant who was like, no, you should be an S corp. You get better, like, I don't know, benefits or whatever it is. And then my new book bookkeeper was like, mm, no, you're not supposed to be an S corp. And so I'm like, okay, y'all take care of it. <laughs> I'm just gonna like, let y'all figure all of this out. So I think right now we're still an S corp, but um, I think, there's just like certain things that you have to do as an S corp that um, 
I wasn't doing and that my previous accountants hadn't like conveyed to me that you had to do. And so my current bookkeeper is trying to like work all those things out. But yeah, I'm probably like the worst person to ask about like how to go about creating a business because I feel like we're still like solidifying things because again, it's it's very hard to know what to do whenever you have like different people telling you different things and that's not your realm of expertise. So, yeah. So delegating is I think the 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 overall note here. The way you're able to oh, do yeah. it and continue to grow is to delegate. And I think that a lot of a lot more people probably should delegate cuz you don't I think yeah, I think you should delegate and also um one thing I guess I would say that I have learned is to like, you know, y- y- in our field, we have coaches for different things, right? Like we have powerlifting coaches and personal trainers and weightlifting coaches. And you have, you might be in the same field, but you have a different area of expertise, right? And I think that is the same way with businesses. So, I mean, it took me too long, but I figured out, you know, I needed an accountant who her focus and her area was working with like fitness and coaching. And so like she has been able to help a whole lot more because she understands what I do and what my business does. And so that she knows, you know, what I fall under and the different things that I need to track and whatever else and like how to go about certain things that those other professionals just might not have been knowledgeable of because they mainly worked with other places. They might have worked with small businesses, but it's just it's a little bit different. Very cool. Well, I, I think that's, I think still in the realm of, I think hopefully my goal is that somebody listens to this and if they're, if they are trying to start a business or get into this, this yeah. space that you can, they can get like maybe some nuggets so that they can be like, oh, okay, well, right. this is what I need to find. This is what I need to look for. So I think ultimately mm-hmm. um, you, you did do that. Um, so what is your goal moving forward after the PhD? After the PhD, so I do want to find a position as a faculty member where I would take on the role as a professor, also be in the research space. But with that, like, I'll always have Lady Beef connected to it. Like, I I, I try and, like, like, present myself as both. Like, I am all of these different hats. I am a professor, a researcher, and a coach. And so all of those things in my professional career will develop and will grow. And so I want to, you know, in, like have that position where I get to coach people that were me once. I love coach or not coach teaching, teaching people that were me once. And I just love talking to students and especially students who are in exercise science and kind of like have some inkling of what they want to do and that they love, you know, the science of it. And so I just love to get excited and teach them. And I want to do the same with my athletes. I think that's why I'm so geared towards athletes because they also have that mindset. They're like, Hey, why am I doing this? And I'm like, well, I would love to tell you. (laughs) And so I just love to coach them and teach them along the way. And so we're all just going to continue to progress and grow and take on whatever each year hands us. I like it. Well, is there a specific um, class that you would like to teach? Oh, man. I taught um, exercise physiology this past semester, and that was my ultimate goal. Like, I came into school, and I was like, I want to teach ex-phys. Ex-phys, when I was in undergrad, was a hot mess, a complete nightmare. I was not good at it. I had a very difficult time, 
like connecting the dots between um, like the cellular level. I can visualize muscles and movement all day, but you take it down to the cellular level and you've lost me. But somehow through the years, I have gained such an appreciation and love for that topic. And I wanted to be put in the position of a professor for exercise physiology for the me. Like I had students this semester who I saw me and I was like, this is not clicking in them. Like, it's like they get it, but then whenever they have to repeat it or they have to put it into practice and apply it, it's not there. And I'm like, I get it, I was you. And so to be the teacher that I needed when I was an undergrad was just so fulfilling. And it just like melted my heart to like be there for these students and be like, hey, I get it. I got a C or a D or whatever it was in XFIS when I was here. And then look at me now. I'm literally teaching it to you now. You can do this and I'm going to help you get through it. So that is the class that I really came to school looking forward to teaching. And I was just so thankful that I've already gotten the chance to do that. And I just see myself definitely teaching that in the future. I also was really interested in biomechanics when I was an undergrad and I had a biomechanics class, but they don't have biomechanics at the school that I'm currently at. So I kind of like look forward to maybe doing some kind of hybrid kinesiology biomechanics type class where I can kind of pull the two things together. So maybe that's in my future too, but I would definitely say X-Phys is like my, my little area. <laughs> what are the chances that that would have been like, imagine you being back in undergrad and be imagining that you're going to be the person that's going to be teaching this oh, class. No. Never would have seen, never would have expected it. If I, it's so funny. I saw this, you know, whenever um, we were younger, we would Facebook status, like the most random things. And now you have these time hops come up from like 10 plus years ago. And it was like, why did I say that? <laughs> and, <laughs> For sure. but, but I had this status that popped up in my time hop a few weeks ago. And it was like me saying that I had just finished my um, last science class. And I was thankful that I would never have to take science again. And I was like, <laughs> LOL, if I could show my previous self what I was doing now. So funny. But, you know, I used to think that, you know, fifth year seniors and grad students were crazy. Why would you want to stay in school that long? And here we are. So, yeah, it was funny what's, how time changes. What switched? Why? Like, why? Why make the decision to end up going to get the master's after you finish your undergrad? Like, did that first exercise physiology class make that much of an impact? No, 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 not at all. I had no interest in ex phys actually when I started my master's. It was really after, like during and after my master's that I was. But um, my the reason I went back to school for my master's was to improve my knowledge of coaching powerlifting, actually. So I had started powerlifting competing in powerlifting. And I just wanted to learn more about programming and um, coaching and, you know, just improve my education a little bit more. And so I found a school that was, um, it was Concordia University, Chicago, and they had an online master's degree program in applied exercise science. And so you could specialize in different areas, one of them being strength and conditioning, and also another one called human movement science. And it was kind of like taking like the athletic programming aspect with more of like the rehabilitation, like aches and pains 
programming and like a majority of that program was us writing programs and getting feedback. And so that was really beneficial to me as a coach because I was not any longer just like <laughs> trying to learn from textbooks and seeing if it worked on my clients, but I was getting feedback from people that had been coaching for ages. And so that was super beneficial, I think. Um, and I really ap appreciated that program for that aspect, though it was lacking in the science aspect. And so that's whenever, when I was in those classes for the science, I was like, I need more help. Like it was very like homeschooly where I was like reading the textbook and then like writing a little discussion online. I was like, I'm not retaining any of this, but I want to. Yeah. And so that really, and I, and I wanted to teach it all of a sudden I was like, man, I really want to like teach this to people. I don't know why, but I really want to. So, <laughs> that's whenever I was like, I think I want to do my PhD after this, but I don't want my PhD to be online. Like I needed to be in person with a teacher that can help me understand this stuff. And then my first semester of my PhD, it didn't take long for my mentor to realize how very little I remembered or retained or knew about exercise physiology. And so that whole first semester, I would just like spend time in his office while he we went over just basic stuff. <laughs> and it was so funny because I was like literally a year between me being in his office teaching me what the heck a neuromuscular junction was to a nice. year later teaching it to undergrad students. Like I had known this information my whole life. Like it was just so funny. And so I think that that was really what helped them to connect with me, those students, because I was like, I get it. I was like, literally a year ago, I was learning this. <laughs> so I'm not that different from you guys. So y'all can learn it too. But yeah, so it just, you know, I think every, it's funny how life happens and you just, little things will just start to happen and pile on and you realize, you know, hey, I, I want to take this further. And um, I've always been a pretty ambitious person. And if I get it in my head that I want to do something, I, I do it pretty immediately. I remember whenever I told my husband, I had been contemplating going back to school for my master's for months. It was like January of 2019, I started looking into programs. I won't bring it up until I've made the decision, though. So it was like that summer, me and my husband were on a vacation and I was like, hey, I, I think, I, you know, I want to go back to school for my master's. Literally the next day I was applying to programs. <laughs> like, oh honestly, that <laughs> I was already online applying to programs. And I shit you not, a week later, I was starting my master's. <laughs> oh my. And my poor husband is just like, I thought we were still, like, in the discussion phase of this. I didn't realize <laughs> it was like... And I was like, oh, no, I've been considering this since January. <laughs> I've already been past the discussion phase in my own brain. <laughs> I am the opposite. I, I want to, like, talk about it as much as I can. And then I'll end so up being like, I either, I either do do it or I don't. But I, there's a lot of, like, outward. Cause I, I feel like I can manifest something. If I talk about it enough and I really want it to be that part of that I, I want to say commit to that part of my life, then then I will, but I need to go to like really talking a lot about it, a lot about it. And I'm like, all right, either I'm really sold. Like I've sold myself on this or I, I haven't. Um, right. I had the same kind of experience with my master's. It was like, I really feel like I'm going to, it had been probably like a year and a half since um, undergrad. And I finally just 
woke up and I was like, we're going to do it. I need to, I need to hurry up. And then, so I, I continued <laughs> to talk about it. This is a goal I always wanted to do. And then I applied and within one week I had started classes. I, I was also an online uh, master. It's I got funny my- how fast those programs let you start. It's like, Oh snap. Okay. <laughs> it was weird. It's like, they hadn't even got my GRE yet. I had just taken right. my GRE like oh, a couple man. of days ago. I was so thankful. I didn't have to take that. I didn't have to take that for either. Let me tell you. So I guess like Concordia, didn't require it, which was like one of my requirements when I was looking into schools because I had been out of college for so long. I was like, there's no way in God's green earth that I'm going to pass no GRE. Not (laughs) happening. I was never good at standardized tests. Like, let me reiterate, I was homeschooled. (laughs) Like, we did not do well in standardized testing. And um, I got lucky as heck with my PhD because they were still not accepting GREs because of COVID. And I was like, I don't, I'm not excited about COVID by any means. It really impacted (laughs) our family, but oh man, am I thankful for that. (laughs) The the little things, the, the, the the GRE sucks. It's like standardized tests are the worst. And I had to take mine, but thankfully I, I, they didn't even look at my GRE before they accepted me. I was like, all right, like, cool. I'm, I'm, this is, this is the best case scenario. Cause I, right. I can guarantee you that my score probably sucks. So thank you for recommendation <laughs> letters and we are in, oh yes. my God, I've wanted to do my PhD. I, I've, I've considered a PhD on multiple different things. And the, the way you talk about it makes me like, Ooh, right. It, like, I is it, when people I, tell me that they're interested in PhD, I'm like, do it. <laughs> I'll support you. And a lot of I mean, times it's free. So like, it, it, especially in STEM. And so, I mean, it, and you can also get a stipend and, but I think mm-hmm. like, is, is this going to be something that is, it's going to change my life or is going to, is it going to add a benefit to where I yeah, want to go? Yeah, that's what you have to figure out. Because like, if I were just wanting to coach after this, then there would be no reason for me to be pursuing a PhD. Yeah. Like the reason you pursue a PhD is because it puts you in a position that you want to work. And like, I want to be a professor to upper level college students. If I just wanted to teach undergrads or if I just wanted to teach at like a community college, I could do that with a master's. So you just have to figure out like what exactly you think you want to do with it. And you might not know specifically. I knew going into it that I wanted to be able to teach grad students, upper level students, people who already had an inkling of what they wanted to do, because that's what I like in coaching. Like I like to coach people and educate athletes that are already in this game. They already know what they want to do and they want to know how they can succeed. That's just who I like to work with. And so I knew that that's what I wanted. I I knew I wanted to try research. I, for my master's, since it was an online program, so you probably did the same, but we had like a capstone project. I didn't, um, since I couldn't do a thesis, I still wanted to publish a paper though. So my capstone project was I wrote with um, my other mentor, my first mentor. He helped me with writing my first publication and um, it was a review article. So it wasn't an experimental trial, but it's still like, gave me the opportunity to get my name in a publication. That's what I wanted. And so after doing that, I was like, man, man, I really want to do like a real study. (laughs) And so getting to do that my first year of my PhD was super fun and just kind of, you know, 
keeps like adding on like, okay, I, I feel like I'm in the, in the right place. Like this is for me. And every semester something happens where I'm like, I'm definitely doing the right thing. Like this is the right place for me. And so I feel like as long as I feel that way, even when I'm overwhelmed with work, even when I'm stressed out with whatever is going on. And like, I have been stressed out in like this period of time in my PhD more than I ever have in my entire life. I've always been a crier and emotional person, but it is like here now. <laughs> like anything will send me over the edge. It's not it's not the funnest thing. It's so bad. I have cried so many times in my poor mentor's office and I'm like, you probably had no idea this is what you were signing up for. <laughs> but you know, I'll have little things happen where it's just like, okay, like thank you God for just showing me this little like bit of like you're doing you're doing what I've placed you here to do. I think that the PhD just having doctor in front of your name is like it. it I, I feel like I'm I'm I've definitely an extremist, and so I have the masters. I'm like, well, I might as well just get the damn PhD. Like, right? I, I just two it, years, it's like, three years, just, whatever. It, it's three, four years, right? I can just, it's like a quick stamp. Okay. Like this one's done. It's a checklist. Like we're, mm-hmm. we're over. Like I've won the game of academia in some sense. <laughs> um, I, I got published in undergrad and it was a really cool feeling. Like, yeah, I think I am no longer, in, I'm no longer in exercise physiology in that space. I, I now, uh, I'm a project manager for a construction company. And mm-hmm. the reason that I took the job was I always felt that there was not enough money in the world of exercise yeah. physiology and being a coach. I was always very mm-hmm. worried that I was going to become a high school coach making like $60,000 a year and then right. working in insane amounts. And then with, with, I think you, a lot of times, unfortunately with a, um, a support system that isn't very big on like teaching the kids on um, the, the, the science behind what this thing is. But that's initially what got me so involved with the sport of powerlifting. And I was like, yeah, what is the difference between a bodybuilding athlete and a powerlifter? And at the time I was in high school and I didn't really like, I was like, Oh, it's probably like this, some like big genetic differences between these two little. I know it's, it's, it's more about training. Like there's definitely mm-hmm. genetic differences at the, at the very top, but um Ultimately, it's it's training, and so before I had gotten to undergrad, I had sent an email to Doctor Lightfoot. I don't know if you know Doctor Lightfoot. He's a genetic researcher here at A and M at the Huffines Institute. And I was like, "Hey, I just have a quick question. I've just I don't know if you can give me any background or information. I, I had already been accepted to A and M at that point, and so I was like, "Well." And maybe when I get up there, I, we can chat. And so I ended up following up with him when I got here, and then it just took me on this like rabbit hole of like really appreciating science and then being more involved with the sport of powerlifting and just appreciating a little more and then loving to teach people about it. But yeah. I was always so nervous that there wasn't going to be enough financial back. Not, not for the last, I want to, I, I like nice things. I want, I want to go to the nice hotel. Totally. I, right? It's, it's those <laughs> little luxuries that aren't so little. Like I want to be able to take a flight. Right. I, I have this crazy idea that I can go on a first class to somewhere in Europe, you know, that, that kind of lifestyle yeah. that I feel like a lot of coaches don't have. But then I start, I'm starting yeah. to realize a little bit that both uh, researchers, like if you get some good grants, like you can, you know, Professors do okay, you know. The pref- pref- professors can do real okay. Um, so it's it's definitely um, 
a space that the the more that I, that I talk to you, it's like, oh man, that, that definitely it was a good time. I love being in the lab. I love being even the little things like working on the DEXA scan was yeah. so fun. Like that's the, so the, cool. You got to do that as an undergrad. Yeah, I didn't have. I was very much like you. Like except I didn't. I didn't have any guidance in undergrad as to what we could do with our degree. And so like, I, I got to volunteer as a participant in some research, but like I never got to like be hands on with it. And so I've loved having undergrads be on my research team. And I have one um, young lady who she has been so involved in my study from the spring that I want her to be a co-author on the paper. And so I think it's really cool that you got to be a co-author in undergrad and um, I, I, I love to like spark that interest in younger ones. So I think that that is really cool that they they set that spark in you at such a, I guess you could say early young age. We were pretty early young in our early 20s. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, but, at, that, at that point, I had gotten published my junior year or senior year of undergrad and uh, co-author, right? But it, it was just i got to work with blood i i, I had i That's i got awesome. got to take take blood from clients or, or and then like we'd show up at 5 a.m and we ran the fit joy bars i don't know if you know fit joy the company yeah. um, so we we did the research on the oligosaccharide that's in that's what we were looking at we were looking at the oligosaccharide that was inside the the, the bar and how that was different than a, a glucose package um okay. so we're we're we're, we're taking dabs and, and doing glucose monitoring and then we're yeah. we're running them through a, a real protocol where they're like back squatting and benching and and hitting one rms and and it, because at that point i was i was definitely in the world of powerlifting it's like this is my jam i love this i want to be here for all the studies i'm going to be here for every session um and it, it was just uh, just a, a wonderful time of life and that. it's it, you know it's just who knows? You know, I, I got I got offered uh, the PhD route uh, at that lab uh, mm-hmm. before I, I didn't know that you didn't have to get a master's. And so I they, at that point, that lab was like, hey, if you want to apply for it, you can go mm-hmm. ahead and, you know, you can come in. And at that point, I had started sales in a uh, for a construction company. I was like, ah, well, I'm kind of going to you know follow the money a little bit here. Like, I don't have the most support from home. So I, I, I need to take the, the job that's going to pay me more. Um, right. But, oh, man, you know, it's just. Timing is everything. And that might have not been the time then, but you don't have to. That doesn't mean it's not going to be the right time down the road if that's still something that's like on your heart and on your mind. It's been on my heart and on my mind for for a little bit, but now I I've just bought a house, and so like now I have to like make sure that I, that I'm affording those payments, and then the construction world is definitely a little bit nicer. But at the same time, I am starting a supplement company, um, and so I get my first set of samples this coming month, and I think that my my thought was like if I can have a I want it to be a a an educational platform as well. Where where yeah. I have a book. I used to coach a kids camp. I want to be able to take that book and then uh, be able to publish it and hopefully get into the. I feel like in undergrad there were there was not a lot of like very in depth conversation of how how to coach or what coaching was and then how can you make it still very science based and keep people engaged. So then I created this booklet that I would use over there in my summer camps and it was very interactive. Keep 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 the kids involved. Um, and I want to continue to to be in that that space of educating kiddos and then educating the, the clients. And, and so it's like, well, would it be a beneficial thing to have the PhD? Um, v- very possibly. I think the guy who's in the front leading the charge, um, 
who is in this space of exercise physiology, who's promoting this healthy lifestyle would probably be a good person to have the, the PhD in this space. Um, so who knows? It's definitely, definitely an opportunity or, or, um, we'll see, we'll see where it goes. We'll see where life goes. I'm excited to see where it takes you. Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate your time. Um, when's the next time we're going to see you compete? Um, I was actually just talking to somebody about this probably. So since I have so much going on in the spring, I was thinking early, um, summer or late spring, somewhere around then. Early summer, late spring. Yeah. Cause I just competed just a few weeks ago. How'd it go? It went great. I did really well. Um, hit a lot of the numbers that I really wanted to had a dang bit left in the tank for deadlifts, which kind of made me be like, dang, I need a fourth attempt. See what's (laughs) actually in there. Um, but yeah. And then one best lifter of that meet. So that was super fun. Um, but yeah, definitely a lot that I want to put on the platform in 2023. So I'm looking forward to getting back out there. I like it. Well, I really appreciated your time and then the conversation. Uh, is there anything that you would like to plug before before we sign off here? Yeah, if you guys want to follow me on Instagram, and it's just my name at Alyssa Parton, um, and then you can find us also um, at LadyBeef.athletes on Instagram. If you want to check out how our athletes are performing, we post little highlights of them there. And then you can find us on our website also at LadyBeefInc.com. Beautiful. Thank you, Alyssa. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Ben Nevados podcast. Check us out on iTunes, Spotify, and all other major podcast hosting platforms. Be sure to leave us a five-star review on iTunes. 